Multiple prospects got traded over the weekend. What do you need to know about the guys that got moved? Let's talk about it. You are Locked On MLB Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, welcome on in to Locked on MLB Prospects, your home for all things minor league baseball. I'm your host, Lindsey Crosby, award-winning baseball writer and podcaster, and thank you for making this your first listen every single day. We're proudly part of the Locked On Podcast Network, where it's your team every day, and today's episode is made possible by our friends at FanDuel. Make every moment more. New customers, join today and you'll get $200 in bonus bets if your first bet of $5 or more wins. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to get started. Okay, so as we do every single Monday, every question in this mailbag comes from listeners of the show. If you have a question for us, I'm on Twitter at Crosby Baseball, shows on Twitter at Locked On Farm. We have an email, we have a Discord, all that, those ways to get to us uh, in a link tree, in the episode description, in the show notes. I want to hear from you and what you want to know about. Uh, okay, so uh, open this up. There was a couple trades over the weekend, Friday, Saturday, two of them involving the Chicago White Sox. So the two biggest ones were the Saturday trades uh, between the Mariners and White Sox and then the Diamondbacks and White Sox. So the Diamondbacks trade was a one-for-one. Outfielder Dominic Fletcher goes from Arizona to Chicago. Right-hand pitcher Christian Mina goes back to the Diamondbacks. So interesting one here. Okay, so... Uh, for Fletcher first, what do you need to know about Dominic Fletcher? One, it makes sense that he was eventually traded because if you think about all the different outfielders you have on that Diamondbacks team, it's hard to see where he was going to get a chance to play. And I think this is a good get for a guy that can do a lot of things for you in the outfield. The speed for Dominic Fletcher, isn't actually that great. He's probably just average speed, but he's a plus defender because he has very good reads, routes, reactions. Offensively, he's fine. Nothing special, but the point is, he gives you high floor center field option. And yes, you have Luis Luis Robert. We'll talk about that in a minute. But uh, interesting trade, the return, Christian Mina. So 2019 IFA, Made it to AAA last year, his third year in the organization, his third season, and he's already risen to AAA. Uh, had a 4.85 ERA in 27 starts between AA and AAA. 10.5 strikeouts per nine, 4.3 walks per nine. And I think the big thing here is there is more growth left to be done. I don't know how effective Arizona is necessarily going to be at getting that to be done immediately. We'll talk about them in the final segment. We talk about pitching development and some of last year's numbers. Just interesting results there. But what he does. So he has a fastball, sits in the low 90s. Believe he can touch 94, 95 or so with it. A vertical breaking curveball. And then a slider that's looked like a lot of different things, right? It's looked like a sweeper. It's looked like a gyro slider. It's looked like a traditional slider. Kind of needs to figure out what that third pitch is going to be. Also has a changeup, and everydayers have heard me talk about this a lot. He throws it too hard. It's in like the high 80s. Ideally, you're hoping for 
7 to 10 miles an hour velocity difference between the fastball and the changeup because the idea is the changeup supposed to look like a fastball out of the hand before when one it comes in slower and two hopefully it moves differently from how a fastball would and you can't square it up so it's an interesting package there's no hard and fast rule on how to adjust pitching statistics on an age to level perspective we don't really talk about that a lot we usually discuss it when it comes to hitters but only 20 years old and again made it to AAA that is significantly earlier than a lot of guys make it to AAA and so there is still growth to be had here both from a physical development velocity standpoint and then also a pitching development standpoint so I'm curious to see what happens again I've got my concerns that Arizona is going to be able to necessarily do it we'll discuss that a little bit later but intriguing trade for both teams the other trade was Ryan pitcher Gregory Santos going from the White Sox to the Mariners and the return Ryan pitcher Perlander Baroa outfielder Zach Deloach and a 2024 draft pick it's actually a really nice pick 69 but just interesting uh, side note we have seen now picks traded in two significant deals between this one and the Corbin Burns deal and I am all for uh, competitive balance picks because those are the ones that can be traded I'm all for more of these picks being traded. It doesn't make a ton of sense to me from the Mariners' perspective as to why they would make this deal. And I say that from the perspective of we've discussed how the Mariners can, in essence, build relievers out of spare parts. So they traded away two pieces and a draft pick, which I think was probably the most valuable part of this, to get a reliever. And yes, Santos had a good year, even in Chicago last year, ERA under three and a half in like 60 plus innings with a ground ball rate over 50%, a walk rate under 6%. Like it was a good year, but it just feels like you're trading into a strength on this team. Like you have Matt Brash, you have Andre Munoz, like yes, Justin Topa left, but it's just odd how the Mariners who can make relievers went out and got a reliever. And then what does that also tell you about their willingness to trade away Perlanda Baroa when it's an organization that can make relievers out of spare parts, right? So the thing for him, I think you saw the walks have continued to be a problem. He has that 14% walk rate last year and Baroa hasn't had one, hasn't had a walk rate under like 11.5% in any season and full season ball. And at certain point, it's too many walks to even be effective as a reliever. The stuff is good. The fastball sits in the upper 90s. It gets 18 inches of induced vertical break, which is uh, around plus or so, plus, between plus and elite, right? It also has half a foot of horizontal movement. So it is very hard to square it up. And then he pairs that with a high spinning slider in the high 80s. It's a good pitch mix, right? It's two really effective pitches. He just doesn't land them in the strike zone enough. And there's just way too many walks to go along with them, right? The other piece, outfielder Zach Deloach was a second rounder in 2020 out of Texas A&M. Last year, 138 games in AAA. I'm going to grab my clipboard here. 286, 387, 481. 23 home runs, but also 173 strikeouts. So the thing that you're looking at here is power-wise, he's 
average, right? 89 mile an hour average exit below 104 is your 90th. And again, 103 and change is average. So he's right there at average power. The hit tool is interesting. 68% overall contact, which isn't great, but the zone contact bumps up to 79%. And it's a weird combination because there's an 11% delta, 11% difference there between the regular contact and the zone contact, but he doesn't chase a ton. 24% chase. So he doesn't chase a ton, but when he does chase, he does not make contact. It's just, it's a really interesting kind of profile there. You look at the defense, defensively, it's he's fine, nothing special. His arm isn't necessarily that great, but despite that, he played a lot of right field for like for Seattle's farm system last year. He played like 104 games out of his 138 were in right. And so now you're in a situation for the White Sox where you've got Luis Robert, unless he's traded, in center. You have Benatendi playing in left. And then in right, you have to go between Deloach, Oscar Colas, Brett Phillips. You just signed Kevin Pillar to a minor league deal. So you've got a lot of options for that third spot. And again, because you went out and got Fletcher, the question here is, are you going to end up trading away Luis Robert and putting Fletcher in as your center fielder? So a couple things to discuss there, just things to think about. And then that third trade, right-hand pitcher Ross Stripling and Cash went over to Oakland and the Padres received outfielder Jonah Cox, sixth rounder last year out of Oral Roberts. Really good speed, like 70 grade speed. The arm isn't necessarily amazing. And so you have a guy, he can stick in center field. He's played left, he's played right, he's played second. He is not ready to be a major league center fielder in 2024. We know the, that you need center fielders and outfielders in general for the Padres. He is not ready. But Jonah Cox is, it's an interesting profile. Like he makes decent contact, but he's super aggressive at the plate. And so he, he's going to need some time to adjust to major to professional baseball before you start trying to figure out when is he going to come up. But either way, just some interesting prospect trades over the weekend. Some of them don't necessarily make a ton of sense. The Mariners one, again, is odd to me. I feel like that draft pick is more valuable to the Mariners, just how well they've drafted recently. But now the White Sox have pick five, pick 43, and pick 69. So three in the top 75. In just a minute, got some questions about National League East infielders. Follow up from our farm previews last week. We'll do that next right here on Locked on MLB Prospects. But first, today's episode is brought to you by our friends at FanDuel. Happy Super Bowl week to all who celebrate from FanDuel, America's number one sports book. If you're like me, Super Bowl Sunday is all about scoring the best seat on the couch, grabbing your favorite football snacks, and placing some super bets. We've all talked about the commercials and how the commercials used to be a big thing. Don't quite know how big of a thing they are now. Some of them get posted ahead of time on YouTube. Refuse to watch those. I want to be surprised during the game. And then if I miss something because I got a bathroom break, food, whatever... Then I'll catch up on the commercial uh, on YouTube later. But uh, I also enjoy sitting there with friends and doing all of the fun prop bets. Uh, I remember just how shocked we all were when a safety was the first point scored in the Super Bowl two straight years. And FanDuel has tons of stuff like that. Not only can you bet on who's going to win, but they also have fun bets. Which players will score a touchdown? Who will score a touchdown first? How many points will get scored? 
all kind of stuff like that. So new customers join today and you'll get $200 in bonus bets if your first bet of $5 or more wins. I'd recommend picking a random NBA game or actually even better, picking an NBA game coming up this week with a really bad team versus a really good team so that you have better chances of winning your bet your $5, get your 200 in bonus bets so that you're ready to go for the Super Bowl. Visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to sign up. Again, that's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sportsbook partner of the NFL and the official sportsbook of the Locked On Podcast Network. Okay, here in segment two on the Monday Mailbag, had some questions about some infielders in the National League East that we didn't quite get to in that show. So, infielder Marco Vargas of the Mets. IFA in 2022 by Miami. He was the return, part of the return, along with a, a catcher, in the David Robertson trade when, Miami, when New York sent a reliever to a division rival. A weird trade when it happened because division rivals just don't really make a lot of trades. But at the same time, uh, are the Marlins really a rival? They're in your division, but are they really a rival? I don't think they are. I don't know who the Marlins' rival is. It's definitely not the Mets. The Mets don't, I don't, it feels like the Mets care a lot more about the Braves and the Phillies than they do about the Marlins. The Marlins are fine. Go listen to Locked on Marlins. Peter Pratt's a great guy, great accent because he's British. So go listen to that show. Okay, so for Vargas, 54 games between rookie ball and A ball. And all the games in A ball wasn't much. But it was all with the Mets. It was after the trade. 275, 432, 389 slash line for Marco Vargas. Two homers, 17 extra base hits, 53 walks to 38 strikeouts, and 13 to 17 on stolen bases. Defensively, he played, he played 37 games at short, 13 at second, and then DH'd four times. And... There are some things to like in the profile, and then there's some questions about the profile and the viability going forward. One, age of 18, so age appropriate to be in rookie ball and then single A. The swing decisions were good, the approach was good, and I feel like Marco Vargas does a good job of taking what the opposing team gives him and using the entire field. He's not looking to pull everything. That is the only really way he can generate power and hit home runs, is significantly pulling the ball. He's willing to just shoot one the other way and get on base and live to fight another day. He didn't chase a ton. It was under 30% last year. And the contact numbers, uh, better in the complex league than they were in single A, which you'd expect. And some of that's a small sample size in the complex league. So zone contact was in like the mid-80s in the complex league. When he got into single A, that dropped to 77%. And his overall contact in single A was like 72.5%. But again, it's a small sample size. Now, the one thing that we do have that we feel I feel a little bit more reliable on is exit velocities. And he's put up exit velocities, un, or, sorry, 90th percentile exit velocities. Again, 103 is average. He's put up 90th percentile exit velocities under 100 miles an hour for two straight seasons now, right? Did it last year, did it the year before. And so there is... Still time, uh, space in the frame. He's listed at six foot 170. I am six foot tall and I am heavier than 170. And if you've seen photos of me, I'm not a giant, I'm not a big dude, right? So there is space in the frame to add more strength. 
And I think some of the hope is if you add more strength and he gets more power, ideally you can get a, a little bit more behind the arm as well. Because when you look at him playing defense, the range is questionable. And I think that may be some of the reason he doesn't stick it short. And obviously, if you add size, the likelihood of impacting the speed negatively and dropping range is even higher. But the arm, just the range and the arm are both issues. And so that's why every time you've seen him not at shortstop, you've seen him at second versus third. And if he can get a little bit more of an arm or the Mets can do an approach like the Dodgers and just not necessarily care about arm strength at third base, then you could see him get some opportunities at third. But the Mets feel like they care about that a little bit more because they didn't have him play any third. They had him play second. And obviously, as we talked about last week in that show, there is a lot of Mets options in the middle infield between Jet Williams and Acuna, Ronnie Mauricio when he's back from the ACL, a lot of options. So you need Marco Vargas to be able to have more flexibility and more positions he can play. Because again, he doesn't have the power for first or really for third, but uh, you hope he can develop something here in the next couple seasons. The other guy that we didn't get to that somebody asked about, infielder Trey Lipscomb for the Nationals. 2022 third rounder out of Tennessee, University of Tennessee, and 129 games between high A and double A. 272, 311, 419. 14 homers, 45 extra base hits, 27 walks to 103 strikeouts, and 10 of 16 on stolen bases. He doesn't walk a ton, and I feel like the reason he doesn't walk a ton is because he swings a lot. 58% swing percentage is one of the higher numbers that I've seen from a guy who's an actual prospect, right? Like you've seen some guys who are hacking at everything, but they're also striking out 200 times in a hundred game season. And they're not on, they're organizational guys, right? Trey Lipscomb's a legitimate prospect, but 58% uh, swing percentage. Now the contact, despite all of those swings has been pretty close to average. It's like a 73% overall contact number. So it's really impacting on the walks. And then I feel like it's probably, it's cut down the quality of the contact a bit. Baseball America had an opposite review and they said that the power plays up because he makes so much contact. But every time I've watched him, it feels like some of the contact that he made wasn't really good contact. He's taking a pitch two inches off the plate and flicking it over the, over the fielder's head. It's well, your exit velocities aren't going to be great on that. That's not that didn't help you on your exit velocity numbers. So I kind of, and some of that could just be small sample size on my part, but it feels to me like that extra contact has not helped the power, but they feel like it has either way. I think the best role for him, and you can see this in his minor league uh, position play numbers, is a utility guy. So he played 88 games at third, the arms above average, so it makes sense he did that. but. 15 games at first, eight at second, DH nine times, and played shortstop 11 times. And really, he didn't look bad at any of them. He didn't look amazing at any of them, but he didn't look bad at any of them. I think the speed is fringe to average. The range is fine. It's fringe to average as well. He gets a good first step. And so the defense is going to be fine. And I think that's probably his best role in Washington. If you look at the way their infield set up, they've got multiple options for second base. Again, we talked about that last week on the national show. They've got C.J. Abrams at shortstop. 
They've got Brady House coming up for third base. It feels like your best role for Trey Lipscomb is a multi-position utility guy who can fill in anywhere, including shortstop. And that way, you, your bench can be a little bit, maybe you have to have an, a second bat to platoon for a third or a first or a DH or whatever. You have all these extra outfielders. It gives you some versatility there. So I like Trey Lipscomb. He's not going to win you a World Series, but he's super useful. He's the kind of guy you need to have on your roster to win games in MLB. In just a minute, had some questions about some Braves outfielders and then Rockies pitching development. We'll get to this next right here on Locked on MLB Prospects. Welcome back to Locked on MLB Prospects, final segment of the Monday Mailbag here, and had a question about some Braves outfielders. And we, we talked about prospect Isaiah Drake, prep draftee last year, incredibly speedy outfielder, who had an okay debut in, major, in, in professional baseball, but really exciting for the future. And the question that I got was about Isaiah Drake versus Justin Dean versus Kevin Kilpatrick Jr. And these are two previously acquired outfielders that Atlanta's brought to spring training before and that looked really interesting. And so, looking at these guys, for Dean, 2018 17th rounder out of Lenore Rhine, which I remember some prominent NFL guy being from there, and it was a great story. So it's a smaller school. 117 games for Justin Dean between AA and AAA. 199, 339, 304 is the slash line. Nine home runs, 15 extra base hits, 71 walks to 139 strikeouts and 35 of 43 on stolen bases. The big thing for Justin Dean is the defense. 83 games in center, 24 in right, 6 in left. And that defensive skill is what's allowed him to climb so quickly through the minors. Because when you look at the numbers, you dive into the numbers for Justin Dean, he's not necessarily a great hitter. His best batting average since 2020 was a 237 in double A at 2021. And so he put up a 199 batting average at age 26 in triple A. And you look at some of the contact numbers and even the power numbers, you can see where the offense has struggled a little bit for Justin Dean. His contact numbers in the zone, 71%. Overall, 65.5% in triple A last year. And the average power was 87 with the 90th percentile of 101. Again, against a 103 and change for the 90th percentile average for MLB. So uh, it's a situation where given the age, given the inability to consistently hit, Justin Dean hasn't been rated in prospect list now for a couple seasons, and he's on the verge, if not already there, of falling into that organizational guy, depth, uh, emergency depth, defensive kind of option conversation, right? He's right there if not already in that kind of mold. For Kevin Kilpatrick, 17th rounder in 2022 out of the College of Central Florida, which is different from the University of Central Florida, which I discovered when I was looking up. Did they mean to call this college? And I looked, oh no, it's separate schools. Uh, 120 games in high A last year. 226, 333, 333. I had to double check that too, because that felt odd. The on-base and the slugging were both 333. 33 extra base hits, five of those were home runs, 68 walks to 140 strikeouts, 32 with 37 on stolen bases. He has done pretty consistently center field every game, DH like twice, but he is a center fielder through and through. The speed is really good. The defense is really good 
for Kevin Kilpatrick. He has raw power. You watch him in batting practice and things like that, but he just hasn't gotten it into games yet. And the overall contact was just shy of 70%. So a little bit of contact issues there for Kevin Kilpatrick. And when I got the question, I was asked to rank those three guys as far as Isaiah Drake, Justin Dean, Kevin Kilpatrick. Number one for me is Isaiah Drake, simply because, again, it's that profile of that super speedy outfielder with you have some questions about the hit tool, but he hasn't had enough exposure to professional baseball for us to feel like the answer to that hit tool question is no, right? Behind him is Kevin Kilpatrick, because he got one season in professional baseball and it was in high A. And then third on that list is Justin Dean, because I feel like now with Justin Dean, we have a bit of a sample, uh, a significant sample. He's 26 years old, significant sample, and we can see that the contact ability and really the power hasn't quite been there. Again, it's a really useful defensive profile, can help you out in an emergency, but we haven't really seen the, the ability to either hit or hit for power that says, okay, this is a second tool that can make our Major League roster better, especially when you consider the Major League roster is the Braves roster, and it's so good already. The floor to get into the Major Leagues with Atlanta is so much higher than at other positions. Had an interesting question in our Discord about Rockies, de- about Rockies pitching development, and if it's improving, what's happened with it, and I think you've seen some evolution for the Rockies. They've changed some of the stuff that they're doing. If you think back five, seven years or whatever, they used to be really big into finding those sinker slider guys, right? That was the profile they were looking for because they said sinkers and sliders aren't going to be impacted as much at velocity. And also that's the best way to keep balls from going in the air because obviously uh, in Colorado, those balls are more likely to be home runs. So we need to find a way to keep balls on the ground. Let's go to singer sliders. And now it's evolved into, they have a little bit of everything, right? Like they haven't really prioritized any one specific profile. Uh, but there's a couple things that I've noticed in their pitching development that needs to get fixed. And one is a lack of velocity, right? So the average velocity for fastballs at the major league level was like 92 and a half miles an hour last year. It was the lowest average fastball velocity in all of baseball. And we've seen some teams, the Braves did this over the offseason, went and prioritized getting more velocity at the major league level. But that lack of velocity at the major league level is also something you notice in the minors. There's just, and I think some of that is going back to that heritage of going for sinker slider guys. And usually sinker slider guys just don't throw as hard as, as, more swing and miss guys or spin daddies, whatever it might be. And so the sinker slider guys have hurt the overall velocity of the farm system. I do think they've also had some bad luck. You've seen some injuries to some top pitching prospects, Gabriel Hughes, Jordy, Jordy Vargas, Jackson Cox, multiple guys get hurt. That doesn't help. But I think too, that one of the issues that I feel like I've noticed when I watch games, whether it's Hartford, whoever it might be, is you have those different groups of types of pitchers, but you don't really have defined plans for what those guys are going to try to do. So like you do have some sinker slider guys, but like some of those sinker slider guys are throwing those uh, sinkers down in the zone. 
Some of them are throwing them up in the zone. It's not a cohesive plan on how to take this subset of pitching we have in our organization and make them better. They're all doing different things. Sometimes you have your velocity guys or that are their same thing. There's some of them are throwing up. Some of them are throwing down. I'm like, well, if you have high velocity and you're featuring a forcing fastball, you should be working that up in the zone, right? Doubly so if you're the type of pitcher who has vertical breaking stuff off of that. If you're a vertical guy, you have a fastball up, you go and drop a curveball down, drop a change up down, whatever, you need to be throwing that fastball up in the zone. And when you throw it low, you take away the effectiveness of those other vertical breaking pitches. And it feels like just all of those kind of situations, you don't necessarily see a cohesive plan uh, in that subset of pitching in the organization. You watch, it might be different in Hartford than it is a level up or a level down or whatever. And it's just something that you've got, you've got to fix. You've got to be consistent with that and say, this is how we're going to make these guys better. Now, there are things that uh, Colorado has done to improve the pitching development. From what I understand, last season was the first season that every level of the minors, every full season level, had a video coordinator who handled analytics and traveled with the team, right? So that you can talk to, even on the road, you can talk to a a pitching prospect and show him, here's what they like to do, here's what's working well for you, here's a game plan, etc. So that's new. They did build a pitching lab type thing at spring training, which I believe they actually call the lab. Just funny. But like a, a center for pitching development, for analytics, biomechanics, all of that stuff. They built that. And so I believe, it's, I believe it opened over the winter. And so that's positive, right? But you can see this heritage of bad pitching development when you look at some of the stats from last season. So I pulled pitching stats for the minor leagues. And the ranks and the actual stats last year, the Colorado Rockies had the 27th worst fielding independent pitching at 507 in the minors last year. The only teams worse were the White Sox, the Oakland A's, and the Arizona Diamondbacks. The Rockies had the 28th worst ERA at 571 behind again, or ahead again of only the Arizona Diamondbacks and the White Sox. Strikeout rate, 22% tied for last in the entire minor leagues with Oakland and Washington. Now, walk rate, 10%, was tied for first with the Twins and the Braves. But they've just done poorly in all of the other things. And I think you can see the pitching development apparatus has more work to do. If you're curious, by the way, your best team at fielded independent pitching last season was the Orioles at 4-2-6. And then ERA and strikeouts, both the Yankees, ERA for the Yankees farm system as a whole, 4-3-4 with a 27% strikeout rate. So just really interesting to see how this works. Uh, Continuing the, we're doing the AL East farm previews this week. So five more shows to come this week. Stay tuned for that. In the meantime, remember, it's always a great time to pay a minor league. 